Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I am joined by Mike Montague, who is a game show host, public speaker, podcaster, and writer at Playful Humans. He's been a radio DJ, karaoke host, virtual game show host, MC, and DJ for live events, including opening for Billy Idol, Frankie Valley, and MC Ed at, I don't know if I said that right, <laughs> At Toby Keith's Bar and Grill. He's been ho- uh, he's hosted game shows for Meta, Google, Haynes, Subway, T-Mobile, Express, and many more. His mission is to help adults discover the power of playing for a living and how to avoid burnout, quiet quitting, or a midlife crisis. Mike, welcome to dangerous. the show. I know. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited, Sharon. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you about burnout too, because uh, burnout I, doc. I am so super fun to think about gamification and play and all good things that are fun uh, in presentations in learning. And we're going to get to all of that. And I've got tons of questions for you. Um, but tell us a little bit about your burnout story. It's happened a couple of times in my life. The The first one was in college. I just had a really bad semester. Um, a roommate of mine passed away, had a heart attack and, and died in the middle of the year. And it was right during midterms and stuff. And I just kind of, um, wow. you know, uh, I call it run out, run out of cares to give if, if you know what I mean. And I, um, I just really burn out on school there and it took me a while to get back, but the most recent time was during the pandemic. For me, obviously, you read all the stuff. I'm a very social guy. I love big events and gathering, and none of that was happening. I was already working from home. And so having all of that extra fun sucked out of my life really led me into to hardcore burnout. And that's when I created Playful Humans and did a deep dive on myself of how do I can use play and fun and rediscover the the joy of play in my life to kind of bring me back out of this. Uh, and it's been a fun yeah. journey. Well, yeah. So I imagine that having created that solution for yourself actually helped with the pandemic and all of those feelings. I mean, it's like a circumstance you didn't have control over, but here you are taking matters into your own hands. And so I'm curious, what did you find as a result of this? Yeah, for me, the pandemic hit at an interesting time. Like I I mentioned, I'm kind of a person who's sensitive to that stuff anyway, um, Mm -hmm. that I I need some sort of external stimulation and and I have a high need for approval and validation to get on a microphone and video and, Mm -hmm. and, and stuff, but also, um, I'm in my forties now. So I, I turned 40 in, uh, 2019. So that was right before the pandemic. And you get to this midlife crisis where um, for me, I didn't climb the entire corporate ladder, but I feel like I got high enough to see that all there really is, is more ladder that I can keep going, but it's not leaning against anything. And it's kind of like, it feels like a little bit of a treadmill. Well, I would just be on repeat for the next 20 years. And so some of the stuff that I learned and, and found is one, um, rest doesn't fix burnout. Uh, rest puts a pause on burnout. So mm-hmm. 
whether you're trying, you know, uh, CBD gummies or alcohol or just binge watching Netflix, it puts a nice little pause on your stress. But when you wake up the next day and you go back to the same routine and your gerbil wheel, you're going to be burnt out there. You didn't recharge yourself. So play for me and active engagement is actually what recharges your, your energy and battery. And mm-hmm. it does for me certainly is when I started auditioning for these virtual game shows first in the pandemic. And then when it got back live doing live game shows and then getting back to live speaking and even just doing the podcast that I do, I host two podcasts with playful humans and how to succeed is another one that I do for my day job and sales training getting to interview and have real conversations with a couple of people every week, just all seems to recharge my energy and and get me focused back on the present moment. So could we safely say that you're an extrovert? Uh, Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I kind of consider myself an ambivert sometimes. Um, I think it's funny that people in um, public speaking and performing don't actually like being in the crowd. So people that are completely extroverted are going to concerts. The people that are introverted, but want to pretend that they're extroverted are up on stage where nobody can touch them (laughs) and and performing in front of people. So I I consider myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm in the world of speakers too. So I know this keeps coming up over and over again, where speakers are always saying, yeah, I'm I'm an introvert. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh you wouldn't think so just because we're out there doing this big thing uh, in front of a group of people. And most people, let's face it, are terrified of public speaking, but it's it's just like you said, you know, I go, I do my thing and then I get off the stage and then yeah. I need to recharge by myself somewhere quiet. <laughs> Uh, I'm definitely that way. And I I have more to share there too, because I learned really on in my life, like when I was pretty young, I'd say middle school or high school, that I kind of have two tanks. My my mom's side of the family, she comes from a family of four girls or three girls and uh, her mother and her grandmother was a piano teacher and they're all like artists and creative and very in touch, like sensitive people, um, fashion designers, things like that. My dad's side of the family, he came from one of four boys who was one of four boys who was one of four boys, oh like all men, all very <laughs> masculine energy. It's like Lord of the Flies over there. And they're all business people like driven. I think I'm the oldest Montague without a million bucks in the bank. Um, and it's really interesting to me that I, I played in both worlds. So my parents came together and created mm-hmm. an environment where I do need some structure and, and discipline and I need to do some detailed work. I like computer programming and technology and and stuff. But I also love this performing and art and creating and speaking and sharing And so for me, I noticed really young that I would get burnt out if I did one or the other. If I read and program and work on spreadsheets and detailed stuff for too long, that tank just runs out. And if I'm DJing and performing all day and going to like a Mm three-day conference, by the end of that, I'm exhausted and I just need to sit down and, and read a book. And so I've tried to pay, you know, in my adult life, close attention to those and find a good balance. But I find it really interesting that there's no right answer. And it's never like it's in perfect balance and I can just say, oh, I'm fixed for my rest of my life. I have to be aware that I have a big event coming up, so I need to rest. Or I know that after this big three-day speaking event, I'm going to have to take three days to to be by myself to recover. So I just want to highlight what you just said, because I think that this is really important for people to 
to incorporate into the way that they are running their lives. And that is that you have to know where you are on the spectrum of introversion and extroversion, because if you're an introvert, what it requires of you is to be on your own or with a maybe one or two close people in order for you to recharge. Whereas if you are an extrovert, it requires for you to be around other people to recharge. So if you're doing a lot of introverted kind of work like coding, you're going to need to then have an outlet so that you're recharging. And for you, it's going to be quite the opposite of what an introvert would need. If you are an ambivert, you kind of need a little bit of both. Now, I want to say that regardless of what you're, where you are on the spectrum, everybody needs a little bit of both. Right. It just is tweaked. So it might be an 80-20 instead of a 50-50, depending on where you are on the spectrum. But what you just said about, if I know I've got this event coming up, then I do this in advance, or I do this right after is a brilliant way to prevent burnout because you are really being strategic about your energy management. I think that's exactly the way I describe it is energy management, that it's like your cell phone battery. Mm -hmm. Everything will operate fine unplugged for quite a long time. I can maybe go all day and doing something that's stressful or even exciting, fun things, right? That I, I love. Uh, but at the end of the day or at the end of the week, I'm going to have to plug this back in. I'm going to have to recharge and I'm going to have mm -hmm. to change that energy. Otherwise, it's going to shut down and then it gets ugly, right? Exactly. So let's talk about play. Yeah. Because I think that there's, it's been more and more top of mind for companies and organizations. As a matter of fact, I just read a survey that was done for associations and, you know, associations, their big thing is they have members. And so they wanted to kind of get a sense from the member's perspective of what's going well and what's not going well. And I mean, it wasn't really drastic, the outcomes, but one of the things they said is that there's only a moderate level of engagement and what the members are looking for more so is uh, education and um, some some other forms of engagement. And so I think about the importance of engagement and that's just one aspect. The other aspect is there's different kinds of engagement. And the other thing that's been really big, especially now with technology and all these things that are coming out is the gamification aspect. And that is a great way to, if you're doing what I do, which is edutainment, which is I'm taking my content and I'm also creating like a fun, engaging way of, you know, sending that information across to the audience, yeah. then you're combining um, two forms of engagement, right? It's like you've got engaging content, but then the delivery is just as important, if not more important, right? Because that's that's the experience that they have when they're with you. And so I love that you've gotten really deep into the gamification aspect. So share with us, if you will, um, first of all, people have a, uh, some notions about play that maybe you've come across as you've been proposing your types of talks to organizations, right? What are some of the biggest things that you come up across that are like roadblocks or people's misconceptions or some myths around this? Yeah, I think a, a few things come to mind. First, what, what you said that I think a lot of people don't realize is that um, you actually learn faster through play than you do through hard work. Mm -hmm. So um, 
it's shown in like memorization. If you're trying to memorize a speech or memorize facts to pass a standardized test in school, it can take up to 40 repetitions for you to remember um, that fact or, or things. But when you do the same thing through a play experience, through a game, it sounded like four times. You learn very, very quickly when it's a trivia question in Jeopardy or it's um, some sort of experiential learning where you're solving a puzzle and you reveal and you actually do a little bit of hard work maybe, but you're engaged in that learning of discovery and your your mind is in an open spot rather than trying to just convert data into long-term memory. So I think the the maybe first misconception is that hard work equals success. We're, we're kind of taught in school. Um, and I'd say most of us at adult school is getting a little bit better but it's really trained to pass tests. And then you graduate and guess what? There's no more midterms. There's no more final exams and life's an open book test. So you can look up any facts that you need. <laughs> you know, I can have, I can Google right now answers to your questions and that's fine. I don't need to know data. What I need to know instead is how to create experiences, how to show up with empathy, how to connect with other people and how to figure it out as I go along. And the way we all as humans figure out how to learn is through play as a child. So we learn to that when we fall down, that it hurts, or, or we learn how to play with blocks and puzzles and, and even role play and, you know, tea parties and other games with our friends. We learn where the limits are and, and how to adjust and how to overcome failure. So um, let me clear it up here a little bit at, at first. I think people think play is frivolous. And it's a waste of time, but actually play is proven scientifically to be the best way to build creativity, confidence, human connection, and physical and mental conditioning. So you can go and you can do your workout and you can run on the treadmill for 30 minutes and then you can uh, do burpees and jump up and down and uh, lift weights, or you could go play dodgeball for 30 minutes and guess what? You're going to get your cardio in. You're going to get your stretching. You're going to be jumping up and down like your burpees. And it's going to be a heck of a lot more fun. And you're going to come out refreshed from that rather than feeling like oh, I just had to do work and do this boring treadmill while I ran and stared at a, a TV screen or, or a blank wall for 30 minutes. You're going to come back a lot more fresh and mentally charged. And the same thing with your mental conditioning. The more you use your creativity and storytelling and game playing, the stronger your mind gets and the more connections it, it makes. So I think that's a big one uh, off the top for me. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is because I, I put together a presentation that is a game show just so happens. Right. Hey, and, I love it. I have yeah. too. Yeah. Because awesome. I, I was like, look, you know, I talk about burnout and there's nothing fun about it and there's nothing funny about it either. And so yeah. I actually got together with a stand-up comedian and I was like, how can we make this really engaging, really funny? Um, and we've been pitching it around. And I have to tell you that like nobody gets it. Like nobody's <laughs> like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Like and when I talk to other people about it, like other speakers or whatever, they're like, that is brilliant. And then I talk to the decision makers or, and I don't know if they're the decision makers or like the gatekeepers, but they're just like, no. <laughs> right. I think there is some of this. They they want the ROI and people do want a business case. And I think you really have to hit them hard with the scientific data that Playful people, I, I've looked into all of this research. There's basically no negative side effects to play, but mm -hmm. people that are playful and happy and engaged in their, their work 
get like 30% more referrals. They sell 30% more as salespeople. They take less sick days. They get a huge return on investment in um, revenue generated and happy customers and longevity of customers. And it's crazy. I mean, people that smile more are also rated more attractive and have more sex. So I feel like across the board, it's like, do you want your people to be more healthy, more successful, more happy and, and growing in a way that's easy? Or do you want it to really be a struggle and hard? And I think people just mistake that, that hard work for success. So the other thing I wanted to add in there is to describe to people here a little bit, Sharon, that there are different types of work. So if you're doing manual labor and you're building a brick wall, the more mm-hmm. bricks you put on the wall, the bigger the wall gets, right? Sure. It, there is a, a time and effort equals success ratio. But for other things in the way, like 80% of our jobs now are mental jobs, which means they have diminishing returns. We get burnout that yes. computer programmers have been shown that if they work more than 60 hours a week for more than six weeks in a row, they slow down so much in their performance that the programmers who just worked 40 hours for those six weeks created more lines of code than the ones that really tried to work harder. So you get this burnout to the point that you're actually producing less than if you had just taken 20 hours a week off and gone and played games. It doesn't matter what it is. So I love that our presentations have academic stuff and educational things as well as fun, but they could have gone to play skee-ball and come back and still been more productive because they were fresher and faster in their mental work and not done anything valuable. Now there's a third one. I know you want to jump in. I see it. No, so no, excited, no. I was but... just, just going to reflect there, on what, what you're saying is that it's our job to in selling ourselves to companies to do this work. It's our job to educate them on the science behind play. Yeah. And it's all there. Uh, and I think we all inherently know it right? You, we've all, you have the best idea when you go take a shower and you stop thinking and stressing about it, right? That's when your mind releases different chemicals that allow you to de-stress and allow you to actually be creative. When you're under stress, your brain says, give me the one right answer that will allow me to survive and get out of this terrible Mm -hmm. situation. It does not have any time or room to be creative and think we'll raise around obstacles and, and be flexible. We get really rigid. We get really stiff. We get back pain because our neck uh, and, and back stresses out. And we start digging in. We see that in our society everywhere, right? Where people are digging into their answers because they're so stressed. They can't possibly, they think it's survival instinct. They can't let somebody else be right because then they're not going to survive. That's what our, our brain and body is telling us. But There's this third type of work that's my absolute favorite, and that is the backwards law around emotional work. When we're doing emotional work, it's the opposite that is true. The more we try to make it happen, the less likely it is to happen. So the more you try and make somebody fall in love with you, the less likely they are to do so. The more you try and fall asleep, the more likely you're going to be up all night. The more you try to sell somebody something, if you're in sales or customer service, The more you try to convince somebody of something, if you're a leader, the less likely they are to do it. Uh, Think about reverse psychology and and parents um, telling their children, you know, if you're out at the zoo, don't touch uh, that yellow button. All they're going to think about is touching the yellow button. They can't help themselves, right? They're going to fight back against it. 
But if instead you take this playful approach and you relax and you and in- breathe this playfulness and this sustainable work ethic through, and you let people take a day off to think about it, all of a sudden they get really good ideas. They relax enough where good things happen for the individuals and the organization it's- itself. So you were saying this is the the backwards law of emotional work. So when you say emotional yeah. work, like what kinds of work would that be appropriate for? Uh, I think mostly like sales, customer service, customer success, uh, leadership, certainly, but any place where we have to um, create change in another human being or connect with empathy um, mm-hmm. and stuff. You, you see the the worst customer service reps are people that are saying, well, that's our policy. And they're trying to like push or be harder or say, well, you just have to do this and like it. Leaders that say, go do this because I said so don't yeah. have people that get very good results underneath them. The ones that need to connect emotionally and, and work with the employee's motivation know that they have to let go of this. They have to let that employee find their own reasons for doing it. Yeah. I just had, you were reminding me, I have a friend who is trying to put her daughter into the school and the school, and it's she's moving from another state. So there's different state laws about birthday cutoffs and what have you. So her daughter is, is doing extremely well in her grade. And so she was going to move from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. And then when she's moving to this new state, they're saying, no, um, she, she has to repeat the fourth grade. And she's like, but why? And they're like, because emo- social, emotional like reasons, because she's not going to be yeah. ready for the fifth grade. So they weren't actually talking about the academics. They were talking about the other and they hadn't even met, met the kid yet. And so when the mom right. was like trying to fight for her cause, they were like, we don't want you to hold on to hope. There's only a 1% oh chance. Gosh. There's only a 1% chance she's going into the fifth grade. Like basically like yeah. this is it. And I think yeah. it's that what you're talking about, that rigidity when we get into these roles where we're like, this is the policy. I don't really have empathy. I And she, she kept saying to her. But I mean, I you can imagine, you. right? How does that mom feel? Does she feel Her- now that she's going to give up or she's going to fight twice as 10 times as hard to push back against? I mean, I, I think her daughters in the 1%, you know, I think you push back until you realize that you're up against a brick wall and then yeah. you, you kind of have your you breakdown moment. Right. And yeah. And, and she, you give up and she you lose was like, I feel like crying because it's like, they don't, they're not hearing me. Right. Yeah. So this is the the same kind of thing I think that our customers would experience if we're burned out and we're trying to sell them something or we're not providing them with good service. Um, and same happens within an organization. There's so many people that within our organization are burned out. And so they're kind of spewing all their stuff around. And even if they hold on, I, I've seen this too, where they're actually on their best behavior at work. So they're not going to mm-hmm. spew to their colleagues but then they come home and then they start releasing it on their families. And then they feel super guilty because it's like, I know my husband wasn't the problem or I know my kid wasn't the problem, but it's got to go somewhere. But it cre- Yeah. And it creates a downward spiral then. Right. So then they have worse relationships at home. And so they feel bad and worse the next day, or they don't get a good night's sleep because yes. they're worried about what they said to their spouse. And now you're waking up more burnout, more stress with less support at home and, you know, doing worse work. And then you get more stress from your boss because your work is not keeping up or your sales are yeah. not growing. Yeah, everything's And tied it's together. a downward spiral. So the answer to all of this is really to let go of it. 
And it's so hard for us to do as humans. Mm -hmm. But if we do this with a playful mindset and we give people permission to let go of the stress, lower the bar, it's all going to be okay. I know in some jobs, they really are stressful, but a lot of what I do is sales training and and stuff. There's no sales training emergencies. Nobody has ever died because they didn't get their product training, um, you know, uh, on time yeah. or whatever, if it was delayed or their sales training, like it's going to be okay. So I know we all want to grow revenue. I know we all have deadlines and we have quarterly quotas and all kinds of things, but those will still be there and we're going to survive whether we hit those or not. And, and so we got to remember that and, and lower those stress. So Mike, paint the picture for us of what you do if if somebody were to bring you into their sales department how do you gamify whatever it is that you're teaching uh, a lot of times it sounds like i do very similar to what you do so i kind of have three buckets of stuff the the first one is really just play breaks i, I do virtual game shows and they have nothing to do with the company and we're just going to mm. for 90 minutes not do anything related to, to work. We're just going to have fun and, and connect with people. And sometimes those outlets are good for temporary fixes, but they don't fix the problem. Other times people really want education. So they'll bring me in for a keynote speech or something where I'm actually teaching skills and I'm working with teams over a, a shorter or long-term basis to really develop communication skills and ways to talk about these things and way to work ways to work smarter and not harder, which mm-hmm. I, I think is really good. And then we can work in some of these concepts in a more logical and in professional way. But my favorite is what you talked about. My favorite is when I combine both of those and I work with somebody that wants to really change the culture of their environment and learn and teach lessons through play. And that's where we get to create those gamifications, the contests, the the energy changers on a more long-term uh, or maybe midterm basis where we're going to do a quarterly or a yearly um, contest of things. And we're going to create some fun ways to keep people engaged throughout the whole process, uh, whether that's collecting best practices or creating a community of things or highlighting people that are doing funny and interesting things. I think um, there's a million different ways that you can encourage people. And I think that's probably my last myth there is that um, people think there's one right way or that being playful means you have to put on the silly bow tie and a a clown flower that squirts people in the face or something like, no, it just means you have to not take yourself so seriously. You have to approach Mm -hmm. this with the mind of like a child with creativity and, and human connection. And so um it could mean a lot of different things. It could be puzzles and games. It could be experiential learning. It could be adventures uh, where we get out of the office and we go do something together. It could be um, jokes and a, a funny meme feed or a, a Slack channel that allows people an outlet to discuss problems and, and challenges. Uh, could be social events. It, it could be a variety of, of different things. And it all depends on the culture of the, the company and the personality of each individual. Like we mentioned earlier with introversion and extroversion, there's 10 different ways that you might like to play. And so um, Mm -hmm. specifics are kind of hard to recommend, but it all depends on matching the needs and the personalities with what they need to get unstuck. So do you go in and kind of do some sort of an assessment of, of, of what their needs are? And based on that, you create some unique games for them, or do you have some things that you can plug and play? It 
Sounds really good. It's mostly the plug and play. Um, Playful Humans has been really hard for me too, Sharon. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I it's the whole mission of the company. I can't force it too hard. If I start creating all kinds of like data and research and scientific method and doing like analysis um, and performance gap um, studies and research on their company, it's not going to be playful and fun. I think most people know what the problem is and when their people are most stressed out. And so a lot of times it's just talking with the leadership about what they want to get out of it and where they think the challenges are. Do they feel like leadership is disconnected from the frontline workers? Do they know that tax time is a particularly stressful time for accountants? Do they know that, you know, winter, um, lawn people feel depressed or or they're worried about their their income and stuff for any kind of off season there's usually some sort of trigger or reason that they're talking to me and it's it's pretty obvious and then we just design a a fun solution so whether it's 10 people or a thousand people or uh it's a one-time event or over time i have a bunch of cool games and stuff that i do which is the fun part of me is coming up with a solution whether that's custom or something off the ch- shelf and saying, would it be right for it to do family feud and a game show day? Or would it be right to um, create more of like uh, a scavenger hunt and obstacle course? Are we trying to do any type of education through this? Is there an initiative or, or something that we want to build in and how can we create those in a way that, that people are learning on the way? And it's fun. I, I feel like it's, um, it's an interesting mix of like intuition and just obvious um, problem solving that, that I get to do with people. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about this whole genre of learning because I think that this is the future. I think there's there's been a lot of talk about this is what people want and this is what companies are looking for. But I think um, there's a disconnect between the people who are saying that and the decision makers or the gatekeepers who are engaging with people like us who maybe are a little bit more rigid, a little bit more old school in terms of what is appropriate, quote unquote, you know, Um, I think they have to see it and experience it to really understand why this is valuable and see the difference because they're so used to doing things in the old way, which is, Somebody comes and they're talking at your people and there's very little engagement versus we're going to completely change how we do things. We're going to make it funny. We're going to make it fun. We're going to make it super interactive and they're going to walk away laughing and learning as opposed to just quietly sitting there listening and maybe jotting down some notes. I mean, the studies are, are there, right? People forget 80% of what is lectured at them within 24 hours. We know it's a terrible way to to teach people. Um, I think the maybe last argument I would make for this case to, to leaders, and I understand it feels weird, but the world has changed, especially after the pandemic, but even before then, um, and even even more this year with AI, is that School and the way people were traditionally uh, set up and the work uh, day, even the 40-hour work week and the eight-hour day was designed in the 1900s for automobile manufacturers and when we needed humans to be robots because we didn't have computers or robots. So we needed humans to stand in one place for eight hours and follow instructions because we needed to create processes that were 
uh, rigid and fast and efficient. And they kind of figured out that that's the longest um, time people could stand in one place and do a repetitive task without dropping dead. Uh, That's really what a lot of this was based on. But now over a hundred years later, about 115 years later, um, we have robots, we have machines, we have computers and AI that can do repetitive tasks better than humans. So we don't need a human to follow a task list and to check boxes and uh, to do the same repetitive movement over and over again. We can design a machine to do that. And I highly recommend it. We need humans to be intellectual, know when to break the rules, know when to connect emotionally with empathy and know when to come up with a creative solution. But it has been beaten out of our entire culture over the last 120 years that 97% of people, this is an actual fact. I'm not just making this up. When faced with a challenge, 97% of people will do one of two things, more of what they were currently doing or less of what they were currently doing. And both of those lead to burnout. Only 3% of adults are able to be creative and find a way around the obstacle to try something else because they're under so much stress and there's so many routines and rules and processes for to telling them to keep doing it. So they run into a problem and they say, you know what? We need to make more sales calls because we're not hitting our numbers with what we're currently doing. So we're going to make more calls or they burn out and they go, you know what? I'm going to make less calls. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to slowly, quietly quit and burn out and uh, I'm going to make less calls. But 3% of people will say, maybe I should call somebody else or (laughs) maybe I should change what I'm doing. And instead of calling people, I should send a LinkedIn message, or I I should, um, you know, go up and knock on their door because nobody does that anymore, right? Only 3% of people take the time to, and have the the capacity with low enough stress to come up with a creative solution. And in the world of burnout, we talk about engagement in the same way. You you could be overly engaged, which are, are those people who are taking on more stuff to do when there's a problem, like you're mentioning. There's the people who are under-engaged. And those are people typically who find their work really monotonous or boring, not challenging enough. And what we're looking for is that optimal engagement, which is right there in the middle. And you have to have some things in in place in order to get there. And one of the things that we see is, you know, people often think about burnout as something that happens when we do too much, which are that first camp of people But the truth is that there are plenty of people who also burn out because they're doing too little and they're just not getting that challenge. So then they're not connecting to a sense of purpose and it just feels like Mm. another day, another day, another day. Um, And we've all been there, I think, at some point. So it's important for us to figure out how to get to that optimal engagement. And what you're suggesting is that we have to find creative solutions and that creativity is something that gets juiced out of those fun experiences that we get through gamification, that we get through these kinds of engagements. A lot of people think uh, play is the opposite of work, but it's not. It's like the fun uncle uh, of work. Mm. If you think back to when you were a kid, you did a lot of work 
to, to play. You were building forts or tree houses, or you're running around with physical energy, or you're changing the rules because new kids came from across the street and now we have uneven teams or uh, the older kids were beating the younger kids too much and it's not fun anymore. So like you said, with the work, we balance the teams to make it still engaging, right? If we're playing oldest kids against youngest kids and they're winning 100% of the time, the young kids are going to quit. And so are the old kids because it's not very fun for them to, you know, uh, spike a basketball out of a five-year-old's hand, right? That's not a, a challenge. But if we can switch it up and we put a young kid on one team with an old kid and we do the same on the other and we rewrite the rules and we say, okay, now uh, the old kids can only touch the ball once every three uh, touches or, or bounces, or they can only take one dribble and the younger kids can take five dribbles and we rebalance the rules. We put that back into that engagement sweet spot. And there's all kinds of things like we can do this with our team. And I think we get stuck into these old rules of, well, that's that person's job. And that's the job description we wrote that got approved by HR. So we can't rebalance their work. And so that person either has to leave the company, they have to burn out, or they have to get a completely new role where I'm really lucky in my job, I get to rewrite my job description about every year and say, hey, what do I want to do this year? What would be most exciting for me? What would be most impactful for the company? And have a negotiation with my manager of how can I do the most of what gets me excited and the most of what's most valuable for the company and return on investment. Super fun. Well, uh, Mike, I love this conversation and I think it's given, I'm hoping, our listeners something to chew on. Because this is, even if you're not the decision maker in your, in your job, in your place of work, if this is really speaking to you, and if this is something that you would like for your team, for your next retreat, for your next conference, then um, advocate for that. Because it's sometimes the people on the inside who are voicing their desires and their, their wants uh, that get to move the needle. And so I really encourage people not to take a back seat on this and to say, you know what, I really want to have uh, gamification. I really want to have uh, more of these things like you're talking about, the contests and um, the game shows and all the things that can make learning really fun and my work really engaging. And that way I am more, I'm, I'm happier at work and they win because they get more out of me without me having to burn out. So it's it's definitely a win-win. Uh, I think so for sure. And you're right. It can be a bottom up thing. It's great when it's top down, but sometimes they have other priorities. So if you got to make suggestions or just make your work fun, uh, gamify your own work, go do it. Yeah. So I know that uh, you also have a burnout quiz that you were going to share yes. with our audience. So tell, tell them a little bit about it and where they can go to take that quiz. If you go to playfulhumans.com slash quiz, there are two quizzes on that page. The first one is the playful personality. So I mentioned them earlier, but if you want to take a fun BuzzFeed style personality test and find out whether you're a joke teller or whether you're a puzzle solver or uh, somebody that likes sports and, and games and physical movement, you can do that. But I love the burnout quiz. I wrote that one this year. Um, it'll say whether you're, you know, rare, medium, rare, uh, medium, well, or well done, you're cooked, um, based on some questions that I wrote that I found through research It's not really scientific, but if you're consistently working over 60 hours a week, if you're, you're not, um, being challenged in some of the stuff that we've mentioned in this podcast, you're probably leaning towards burnout. If you're not 
uh, sometimes I know I felt this way when I was burnt out. You're not even looking forward to vacations because you know that like it's just not going to make a, a difference. You're like, okay, it'll be fun, but I'm then the work's going to pile up and I'm going to have more when I come back and I'm going to have to work ahead of time to clear my desk yeah, and I hear set out the auto office and the stuff. Yes. And especially sometimes on short vacations, you're like, it takes me two days to get distressed and and then I got to come back after a three day weekend. It's like, it doesn't even help. Um, if you're feeling that kind of way, you're, you're burnout and you can get some help. There's uh, some suggestions at the end of the quiz on, on both of those on how you can be more playful, but I would also say reach out to Sharon or, or reach out and get help because there are ways to to avoid it and get yourself turned back around. Well, I love that you end with a super fun and engaging way to take this conversation to the next level. So for people who are like, how crispy am I really? Uh, do go and take <laughs> Mike's burnout quiz and find out because, you know, this is a great way to connect with Mike and also find out a little bit about yourself. So Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing a little bit about what you do and hopefully inspiring people to reach out to promote this kind of presentation and learning. And I'm hoping that we see more and more people engaging people like you and I to bring this into corporations and associations. We need so many more people doing it. So it's great to connect with you. And I'm really excited. To, hopefully I can see your game show one time. Uh, I'm just to, to find out what you have back there. And we need more people on the mission fighting the good fight because it is the best way, I think, to be humans at, at work. And um, it's time. It's time for us to to redefine what work and play looks like as uh, adults in the 2020s. Love that. So for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And if you are a doer, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. And if you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.